Mark chapter 10. Reading verse 17. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come now and we just thank you so much for Christ Jesus. And thank you also for the fellowship that we've already had so far this morning. And Lord, we just pray that the songs that we have just now sang truly do come from our heart, lifting up the exaltations of Christ Jesus. And our hope is that the Holy Spirit will be here with us as you've promised where two or three are gathered. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us in our worship and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And we just pray that as we look at these scriptures that we might see Christ today and be our teacher of these things. Lord, we surely don't want to put ourselves out there as uh, the attraction, as the, uh, uh, as the uh, main point of any sermon, of any uh, message. Lord, but that the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done, uh, who he is, all that he has accomplished, uh, Father, we, we pray that that would be our focus and that would be what is seen and heard. Lord, we pray for all that are here today. We pray that you would give us hearing ears and we pray that you would give us receptive hearts. Uh, we pray, Lord, that if there's any here today that you've yet to grant repentance and faith to. We pray, Lord, that you would do that and grant that. Uh, Lord, they might be moved uh, to uh, follow you in believer's baptism. Lord, we just ask that uh, you would just guide us and direct us in all things. We just pray, Lord, now that you would uh, show us Christ once again we ask uh, in these passages and that we uh, look beyond those things that are necessarily physical see those things which pertain to the kingdom of God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 10 verse 17 says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I might, or that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and said unto him, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, 
but not with God. For with God all things are, pa- uh, are possible. Then Peter began saying unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive in a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. One thing that really stuck out to me in this is a, is a couple things. There's a, one thing this man came, and we know this is the story of the rich young ruler, right? Uh, uh, one thing that stuck out to me in this is the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he basically came and said the same thing that the religious leaders said whenever they came to Jesus. Uh, that was over in uh, was it John... John 6. John 6 and verse 28. Actually, I'll start reading verse 26. Jesus answered them and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. So this man basically was saying some, basically the same thing as these religious leaders were saying. You know, what must I do that I might do the work of God? Or what must I do that I can perform some work um, and uh, inherit uh, eternal life? There's something that I should be doing to inherit eternal life. So it tells me a couple of things. Number one, uh, this man obviously, you know, was concerned about eternal life. Uh, He he wanted to know what was going to happen on the other side. What's going to happen after this life is over. There's obviously something's going to happen in the in the life to come, and uh, I hope to have eternal life. And so he was concerned about that. But notice, if you would, he knew the answer came from the good master. I mean, this man was concerned about these things, and he obviously thought that he was living a good life because he said, all these things that you've said, I've already done. You know, I've been keeping it. Now, we know that that's not true, right? He thought that was... I, I have heard a preacher one time say, obviously this man... Actually, in a conversation, he said, whenever I told him no man can keep the law, he said, well, that man did. It's in the Bible. Jesus didn't tell him he didn't keep the law. Well, brother, Jesus didn't have to tell him he didn't keep the law because he went right to the next commandment that he gave him that the man knew he couldn't keep. And wouldn't keep. It has nothing to do with did this man keep the whole law. He, he didn't keep these laws. We know he didn't keep these laws. And Jesus made that the point. Because he gave him a law that he knew he couldn't keep. 
even if that man did keep those other laws, and I don't believe he did, but even if that man did keep all those laws, Jesus gave him a gave him a law that he couldn't keep. Thereby, according to James, if he offends in one, he's guilty of all of them. And he was showing the man, you know, the the scriptures, the the the, the command is to keep all the law, not just some of them. And this man was keeping all these laws, but he couldn't keep that one. Therefore, he was guilty of every one of those laws. And brother, listen, just as a side note, we've talked about this many times, especially when we're going through Galatians. We know that that condemnation that the law has and gives is a striking condemnation. There is no way that we can escape the condemnation of the law. You think that you're getting ahead by keeping the law of God and that you're performing some kind of a righteousness before God and you're getting along with God and you're, you know, as I've grown up hearing it all, staying right with God and everything. You think that you were doing that in your flesh and keeping those laws or keeping some righteousness that God's accepting and everything. The law is thundering. Just like it was back on Sinai whenever Moses came down the mountain. It's a thundering law. It is a thundering condemnation. And the the perfection of the law is not keep some of it as best as you can. It is keep it all or die. And brethren, we can't escape that unless we have somebody who substitutes for us who does that and praise God we have Jesus Christ who did that so this man coming to Jesus and saying you know hey I've kept all those laws and everything I can almost see probably those disciples that was hanging around there they probably were snickering a little bit this guy obviously don't know or this man here whenever he said that Jesus of course we see here that he said that he looked on him and he, and he loved him he beheld him and he loved him Whenever he Jesus saw that, he probably seen, you know, this man just still has ignorance of, of what the law really is. He thinks he's keeping the law. Whatever the case might be, this man was, was convinced that there was something that he could do. And therefore, even, and I, and I think this is, is what God, whenever he puts this in, into our hearts, there is a deficiency there. This man seen there's a deficiency or something. I need to make sure what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life because I've been keeping all these things. I've been doing all these things, but still his soul was unsettled. There's something that's not right. I, I, there's something that's more that's needed, surely, that I'd have to do. Well, brethren, I tell you what, nobody has that thought except those who are the children of God. You know, we don't have those thoughts in the natural man. The natural man does what? Pulls up those fig leaves, right? And he tries to cover himself with his own fig leaves. He thinks that his righteousness is good enough for God. He thinks whatever he does is righteous uh, before God. Hey, I'm keeping the laws of God, so I'm righteous before God. God's going to say, all right, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter in. I don't know, I might be wrong about this, but I think the only one that's going to hear that is Jesus. And only, and we are only going to hear anything like that because we're in Christ. But Jesus is the one who is the good and faithful servant. He's the one who was obedient and fulfilled all the law of God. So this rich young girl, whenever he came to Jesus, he said, you know, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? It's the natural man's response 
to religious things. What can I do? What must I do? That's the default attitude that we have is that we can provide some kind of righteousness. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, the very first sin that ever was committed. You can be as God. You can be as God. You don't have to worry about God saying, don't do that. You can be as God. You can provide your own righteousness. You do your own thing. And we think that we can just cover up and do our own thing and God's going to accept that. Whenever the Bible clearly says that the flesh profits nothing, that everything that is done in the flesh is, is sin and that it cannot please God, and that all of our attempts at righteousness is filthy rags. And I'm always compelled, and I say this a lot, I'm always compelled because whenever that word is used there, that word righteousnesses is plural. All of our righteousnesses, he didn't say unrighteousnesses are filthy rags. He said all of our righteousness. So every best thing that Michael Smith can do in some religious way, or even some try to attain what this tells me to do, is filthy rags. God doesn't accept anything that we do. And I'm even going to say, even what we do as children of God with the Holy Spirit in us, there is nothing that we do that is accepted for righteousness before God. The only righteousness that God has accepted, will accept, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And not Jesus Christ's righteousness working out in you. That's not the righteousness that God accepts. God only accepts the actual righteousness of Jesus Christ. So this man was obviously ignorant uh, of God's righteousness. The Bible says that they went about seeking their own righteousness and they were ignorant of the righteousness of God. Well, that's what being the ignorant of God's righteousness is. is, is and not using the ignorant is not in a derogatory way, right? It's just saying that they were uninformed. They were un, unaware. They did not know. They were unlearned. Uh, they did not have the knowledge. And when I say that, I'm not talking about book knowledge, seminary knowledge. I'm talking about they didn't have the knowledge and the teaching of the Holy Spirit of what righteousness really was. I mean, these religious leaders, and apparently this man here, they had all been taught that there's a righteousness that we get by keeping what God tells us to do. And the law never was given to us to give us righteousness or to cause us to be righteous or to, or to save us or to justify us. The law was always given by God and just exactly the way Jesus used it right here, the law was always given to condemn us. It was always to show us that we cannot perform righteousness. We cannot do anything. To reach perfection. That, the very word sin, it means uh, missing the mark. We always miss the mark. And the law is always there to show us our inability for perfection, our inability for righteousness, our inability to obey. Therefore, for the child of grace who has been given the Spirit of God, that that Spirit of God convicts of that sinfulness, convicts of the missing the mark, the convicting of the imperfection, the unrighteousness, the inability. The Holy Spirit convicts us of that. The Bible uses the term, causes us to be poor in spirit. 
we become poor in spirit. We become poor in spirit because we now, by the Spirit's teaching, by the Spirit's enabling, we now have been humbled and come to the right mind of understanding. And I would say this is also the part of the repentance that God grants to us is we now realize righteousness cannot be attained by me. Righteousness cannot be performed by me. That I have no righteousness, therefore the only righteousness I have hope in is in the righteousness of Christ. And so now we repent, meaning we turn from the thinking that we can perform righteousness, and we trust and hold to the righteousness of Christ alone as our righteousness. His substitutionary obedience, His substitutionary death was all for us, and that is what God accepts. That's what God has declared as the righteousness that He would uh, um, uh, accept, uh, that He would uh, uh, give that to us, and that it would be part of our account. And so, Jesus here gives this man the law that he knew, knew he could keep. And this man, the Bible says, he went away uh, sad because he had great possessions. Now, we're talking about physical thing here, right? This man had great possessions. He had wealth. He had whatever, you know. I don't know what all he had, but he had a lot, obviously. And he went away because he had great possessions and he went away sad because he obviously loved those possessions and didn't want to give them away because he was wanting to inherit eternal life. But when Jesus told him, well, to get eternal life, why don't you go sell all those things and then come and follow me? The man went away sad. Why? Either he was going to give them away and wasn't going to have them anymore, which we don't know what happened after this, or... He wasn't going to give them away and I'm going to not, not get an eternal life. That's what he was thinking, at least in his mind. So I don't know what the case was, but either way, he went away sad, sorrowful, because he had great possessions. Now that's the physical aspect of that. What's the spiritual teaching that we have here before us? Remember, I always say we always need to go past the physical to see and to look at what the spiritual teaching is is here for us if the Spirit will give us understanding of it. And we see here, and, and, and the reason I say that is because of the conversation between Jesus and His disciples. See, Jesus went and said, the, the disciples were astonished because Jesus said, you know, hey, hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Does that mean that rich people, anybody that's rich, they can't get into heaven? No, that's not what it means that. Does it mean that being rich is a sin or is evil? No, it doesn't mean that either. I've heard people preach that and teach that. No, it's not that either. Now, I will say this. The Bible does say that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Your heart's desire, if that's all it is, is to make money. We all know people that's like that. Their, their main drive is to get out there and to get rich and to be rich and to do whatever they can to be rich and everything. But some people are blessed with that. Some people are driven by that and that's what <coughs> motivates them. Okay? It's, it's, you know, it's two different things. The love of money. This man obviously had a love for money because he didn't want to get rid of the possessions. But Jesus said, hardly shall they have 
those who have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he also said that it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of an eagle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. But whenever he said that, the disciples didn't perceive it necessarily as meaning having a bunch of money. Because they said, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Now they're saying, well, who these men were not rich. Well, we could probably say Matthew maybe was rich if he didn't get rid of all of his money whenever he quit being a publican. But all these men were fishermen, poor guys, right? So even now they're saying, wait a minute. They got the they got the teaching that Jesus was trying to get through to them. Jesus was talking about whenever we think that we are rich in righteousness and don't have need of Christ or don't have need of someone else performing something for us. You and me, I can do it. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm a self-made man, you know. Whenever we are rich in those things, hardly can a man get into heaven. Now, I hope I'm not too scattered here. Notice Jesus said, hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, never can anyone have that has riches enter into heaven. Now, I'm still talking on the spiritual level here, right? On the spiritual aspect. If we're looking at this in a spiritual way, talking about righteousness, <coughs> and whether or not it's Christ's righteousness or our own righteousness, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's only one man who has all the riches that has entered into the kingdom of heaven. And that was him. That's why I think that he didn't say never, because he is the one man who has entered the kingdom of heaven who had all the riches. He was rich in righteousness. So everyone else, though, is not going to make it. And that's why these men say, well, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saying, With men it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, with men it's impossible. We, we cannot perform this righteousness. We cannot, we cannot amass the riches of righteousness that God would accept. We just can't do it. I'm reminded of this in Revelation Chapter 3. So if you have anything you want to add, feel free to jump in. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. And look at verse 17. Jesus speaking here. He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now how awful is that? Someone who has all the riches, and again speaking of uh, righteousness, whenever we think that we uh, have a righteousness to put, put before God, what's that old saying that they used to say, there are none so blind that those who don't, do not see? I mean, obviously this man here says, Thou sayest that I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, 
And Jesus is saying, you, you think that, but you don't even have any clue that you are poor, blind, miserable, and naked. See, that's how we are in the natural man. And until God quickens us, until God grants us repentance, grants us faith, teaches us who we are in ourselves in Adam and everything, we think we have all the riches of, of righteousness that God's going to accept. You know, the old the old illustration that we used to have of, of the old balancing scales. You know, whenever we get up there, God's going to balance all of our good deeds. Well, I've done more good deeds than I've done bad deeds, so God's going to let me in. Or Peter at the pearly gate is going to look in the book and say, oh, you've done pretty good. I guess we can let you in, you know. Whatever the silly cartoonish thoughts that we used to have about how you get to heaven... This man thinks that, hey, I'm going to be able to get in. I have all these riches. I've done everything that needs to be done. And Christ is saying, you don't have any clue that you're poor. And how how I think about the child of grace, that whenever the Bible, or whenever the, the Spirit opens up our understanding and we see what the Bible teaches us of ourselves, then what happens? We just we take the opposite place. We go from thinking that we are rich to knowing that we are poor. Remember that, uh, remember that, uh, uh, was it the publican that was in there praying with the Pharisee? And the Pharisee was saying, you know, I thank you God that you not made me like this poor sinner here next to me and everything like that, that I've been, what, what was he doing? He thought he was rich in righteousness. He was keeping that law. He was keeping the things that God had told him to do. And what was this guy doing? He was on his face before God and he said, Forgive me, I'm a sinner, you know. Uh, he knew that he was wretched, poor, miserable, without anything. No money to buy. No nothing to give. No nothing to offer unto God. And what did Jesus say? Who's the one that went down justified? It was that man that was on his face before God. And the Bible says, Blessed are they who are poor in spirit. Blessed. That's a blessing that God gives us. He grants us the blessing of being poor in spirit because whenever we become poor in spirit by God's grace, by the Spirit's convicting and teaching, when we become poor in spirit, we begin to look to Christ. Whenever we're poor in spirit, we look to the one rich man that we know by the Spirit's teaching, and that's Christ. He's the only one rich in righteousness. And if He is rich in righteousness, maybe He will give it to me. Maybe I can be uh, given righteousness by Him. And so we begin to have a hope that His righteousness can be our righteousness. That He would be gracious to us and give us His righteousness. That He would be gracious enough and merciful enough to account us in His righteousness. Well, brethren, that's being poor in spirit. We're poor in spirit. We know that we are not accomplishing anything before God. And this young man here had not been made poor in spirit. Now, I will say, Jesus said there that He looked upon him and He loved him. He beheld him and He loved him. Now, I've heard some men say, well, that man went away and never did make it to heaven because he 
loved his riches more than anything. The Bible doesn't say that. He did say he went away because he was sad because he had much wealth, but it didn't say that he never entered into heaven. It never did say he eventually ever repented or turned to Christ or followed after Christ. It doesn't say that, and it doesn't not say that. Or Well, I guess it does not say that. It, it never does say. So we don't know either way. So anything would be inference, right? But the Bible does say that Jesus loved him. And we know that Jesus only loves his brethren. Now, I was kind of interested in this this morning before I came out of my bedroom. I thought, you know, I want to look at that word love there. Because I know in our language, love, we have one word, love, and it just kind of means a different thing. You know, I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my friends, and everything. And then there's a love for God, right? And a love for the brethren. And the, all these loves are different, right? Okay, the way I love uh, uh, Daniel is different than how I love my wife. And how I love all you guys is different than how I would love God. So it's a different love. Well, in the Greek language, they have more specific words. So I thought, well, I'm going to look, see what this word is behind this word love, and see, is it phileo? Because I know the word Greek word phileo, I've been taught, is... Uh, you know, means a friendship love. That would be what me and Larry has is a phileo love. We have friendship love. We also have brethren, brother, brotherly love, right? And then there's a eros, which is a intimate love, like you have with your wife. And then there's the agape love, which is the love of God. So I thought, well, I'm gonna look and see. Is whenever Jesus said that he loved him, did he say phileo? When I went and looked at that word, it's the exact Greek, same Greek word as John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's the agape love. That's the love that God has for His elect. That everlasting love. That everlasting love that God has for His elect is the word that Jesus used there that's there for us. He meant, I love you as my elect. That's what He said. Well, he didn't say it to him, but it's recorded Jesus saying that. That's, he loved him. So my thoughts is, is that man went away sorrowful, but there was a point in which God brought him to his understanding of those things. My thought is, in my opinion, again, I'm not going to part ways with anybody or be dogmatic about this or anything like that, but if this thing says that Jesus loved him, then that man was the elect of God. And at some point, because the Bible says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And that word come means believe. Believe on me. At some point, that man was given to believe. And his thought process changed. And he went from being a rich man to a poor man. And it may have not necessarily been because he gave away all of these things. But just because he began to see, good master, there is nothing that I can do to inherit eternal life. I know that you are eternal life. And if I'm to have eternal life, it has to come from you. And I, the thief on the cross said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, that thief on the cross didn't know nothing. That thief on the cross didn't do anything. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the thief's belief that even caused him to be saved. What was what caused him to be saved? Well, that man right there in the middle that he was looking at. What was it that he had to do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. 
but he was poor in spirit. The other man wasn't. Right? Cain and Abel. Cain, rich. Abel, poor in spirit. May we look at that. The people of God are made poor in spirit. They come not boasting of their riches. I've kept that. I've kept that. I've done that. I've done this. I've done that. And brother, I tell you what, and I, I just get to now. I, I don't listen to any of it, but I used to every now and then would listen to you know uh, Christian radio uh, while I was driving for work. And man, I tell you what, it just gets to the point where you just can't stand listening to all the garbage that's out there. Everything is man-centered. Everything is I can perform everything. For myself. Christians, quote unquote, Christians today are the most richest, and I mean that in not physical monetary things, they are the most richest people in the world because they think they can do everything that this book tells them to do. They're keeping God's law, they're working and doing everything, they're advancing God's kingdom, they're winning souls, snatching people from the fire, they're doing all this stuff. And it's just like that guy in Revelation. Jesus says, you think it's that you're rich, that you're poor, miserable, wretched. How sad it is if we're that way and the Lord never does grant mercy to us. He never does grant us uh, repentance from that. But one of these days, everybody's going to know Everybody's going to stand before the one who is rich in mercy. And they will know that he is sovereign. And he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. He will show grace on whom he will show grace. He will grant repentance to those he will grant repentance to. And all those who he doesn't, they will receive their just reward for all that they have done. And the reward for all the sin that they have done, the Bible says, the wages of that sin will be dead. And nobody can look and accuse God and say, why have you made me this way? Because the potter has the power over the clay to make whatever kind of vessel for whatever kind of use that he wants to make. So brethren, we are blessed to be made poor in spirit and to go from being rich being poor and I'm thankful that the Lord here was gracious enough to this man because obviously he thought he was keeping the law the Lord was gracious to him by pointing out his inability because if God didn't point out our inability to us we would have kept right on all the way to the end of the judgment time thinking that we are rich in righteousness and that we're just going to open that pearly gate with Brother Paul and stroll right down those golden streets and take resident in our mansion and Jesus is going to pat us on the back and tell us how great a job we did and boy, I tell you what, I couldn't advance my kingdom if it wasn't for you. We used to sing a song. Uh, what was the name of that song? 
you probably remember this, brother. It was Ray Bolt singing. When I get to heaven, I'll look around and see, you know, all these people, you know, because of you, I'm here, you know. Now, that's our mentality, right? That's the mentality of modern Christianity. Look at all these souls that made it here because of our ministry. I wrote an article that I posted on Facebook this week. I actually wrote it a few years ago was when I made the observation and I wrote it. And I actually changed some things on there, but I seen Bodie Bauckham had uh, made a statement a few years ago. It was an anniversary of his, uh, how long he had been at his pastor, his church. And they had a picture and it was, it was in the church and it was showing inside the church and he said, he said, countless, uh, countless people, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said, destinies were changed uh, in these pews and everything. And uh, anyway, so I wrote an article about, uh, uh, about people's destinies don't change for one and none, none were caused by you. Right, that was kind of the gist of the of the piece and everything. I don't say anything about him. You know, I think he's preaching the false gospel. Uh, he's a Calmenian who uh, has this whole polarized aspect to their sovereign grace. But uh, uh, I don't throw any doubt on his salvation. That's between him and the Lord. I don't know. But what he said is wrong. Eternal destinies don't hang in the balance. And that's the thing. We think we are rich. And we think that because of our service, because of our ministries, because of whatever we want to claim, that people are getting into heaven. That people are, and when we get there, we're going to be slapped on the back and say, well done, good job. But the only thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be, if in the whole discussion about crowns is a whole different story. But all I know is this, if a crown is given to me, it's going to be cast down to be Christ. We're going to be bowing down and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. For Thou hast redeemed us, saved us, called us, protected us, preserved us. Every aspect of our life, every aspect of our salvation, the only credence, the only credit goes to Jesus Christ. I hope to be a good father and teach my children what the Bible teaches. But nobody's saved because I'm their dad. Nobody's saved because I'm a preacher. Nobody is saved because, you know, anything that men do. The only reason we're saved is because of God. Because of Christ. He's the only one that has the riches. He's the only one that truly is righteous. All right. Anybody got any things you'd like to add to it and share? Any thoughts you have on the road? After you turn anything off. Oh, after you turn anything off, sure. Yeah, we can turn that off.